Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores, and with us today we have Thomas Yates. Hello. Hi, Sam. So, yeah, my name is Thomas Yates, and I'm the Managing Director of Mercury Automotive. Mercury Automotive is a company that uh, I founded with um, some amazing colleagues um, in 2016. Um, we, we actually kicked off the company in September 2016, um, and we have uh, quietly in secret been producing uh, the most amazing electric car. Uh, we, we launched it at Goodwood last year um, for the first time, showed the, the world what we produced. Um, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy little thing. Um, we'll, we'll, let's, we'll, we'll come to that. But how, how, did you, how did you get into all of this? You know, have you worked in the car industry for a while? Talk me through your sort of journey. How did, yeah, how did you start out in the space and stuff like that? Sure. So I guess the, um, the journey for me was one in the direction mostly of engineering. And that, that, that began... Uh, probably the, the most significant event for me uh, right at the beginning was when I was about four years old uh, with, with my father, uh, a broken down lawnmower, um, single, single cylinder engine and, and an opportune moment to start taking things apart. Um, and, and so sat in the garage with, with my old man, we, um, we stripped it down, found that it got a, it got a failed little end, the, the gudgeon pen broke away from the piston and, and, and that's why it broke. And, and for me, just seeing all of those moving parts, oily pistons, conrods, crankshafts, um, et cetera, just suddenly put me up on this path of just having an absolute love for combustion engines, um, mm. which might be quite funny to hear because obviously uh, <laughs> yeah. an electric car company. Um, but, but yeah, and then, and then sort of progressing from that, I guess I had an absolute love for anything that was small and fast and had an engine in it. So um, particularly go-karts, ATVs, jet skis, um, those sorts of vehicles that were focused on the individual and the opportunity to go really, really fast. 
um, they they were super exciting to me. And when I was about eight years old, I finally got my first uh, quad bike, um, and and I sort of would go absolutely romping around uh, farm and, and and whatnot and enjoy myself on that. And then sort of finally, by the age of 15, uh, fourteen, in fact, I think um, I got my first opportunity to go racing. So the the, the sort of natural trajectory for me was. Uh, starting off with a bit of um, ATV endurance racing and then moving into motocross swiftly after that. Um, and it, it was just phenomenal, the, the sort of the speed, the sensation. Um, I think motocross is a very interesting and an exciting motorsport because it's very three-dimensional. Um, I, I absolutely love circuit racing uh, these days because it's a very, very sort of pure form of um, precision um, uh, driving and, and a lot of it's about being able to be incredibly um, uh, to re- repeat the same movements and achieve mm. the, the same corner apexes, breaking points, etc. With, with circuit racing, but motocross was very different to that. It was it was much more about dealing with an evolving circuit and and uh, continually evolving conditions and 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 dealing with vertical uh, distances <laughs> as well as longitudinal distances. So yeah, that that was a that was a really cool time. Um, I raced until I was about 17 and then I had a big shunt, broke my back. Um, mm. and, and then and that sort of um, began a fun few years of attempting rallying because that's sort of the obvious safer next step. Um, yeah. uh, so for me, it was, it was then um, into a, a very basic Peugeot 205 rally car um, and, and a bit of a, a, a rocky road towards uh, starting rallying. So the first ever rally I did, I wrapped it square around the uh, round the tree, which is <laughs> really short lived, unfortunately. But then uh, we rebuilt it into a donor Peugeot two hundred five, um, and and had another go. Um, and yeah, and from there on in was much much better. And then there's this really sort of the, the fun aspect of amateur rallying is that um, you have to convince. Uh, friends and family that you're a good enough driver that they want to co-drive for you and they want ah, to sit okay. with you while you're doing lots of silly things um, and so uh, for me it was sort of a combination of doing um, some road rallying so things called 12 cars which which I, I can't believe to this day are still sort of legal on, on British roads because they are phenomenally um, they, they're wonderful for the driver but they but it's amazing that it's sort of real motorsport on public open public roads which is which is which is really really cool um, but, but quite terrifying at times too. Um, what is, so what is that? Road, road. So, uh, uh, so twelve car, they, as the name suggests, is a, a twelve car road rally. Um, I don't know if they still happen, but certainly ten years ago or so, they mm. they they did. Um, they're run by um, uh, local motor clubs usually, um, and you and you sort of do various uh, road stages where you have to uh, adhere to certain times. You have to effectively start and finish um, on what is a very, very tight and twisty country lane at, at particular times. And, and the average speed um, from memory that, that you need to uh, meet is sort of 30 or 40 miles an hour, something not, not, not particularly that high. But the roads are so tight um, that actually that becomes a, a really quite a feat. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're phenomenal things. They're quite, quite archaic, I think, but, but a beautiful sort of um, motorsport that, Seems to have been left untouched and, and, and still, uh, certainly then uh, still existed on, on British roads. So, a fair bit of that road rallying with friends, and we had some. Uh, in fact, uh, my my um, one one of my colleagues at, at the company here, um, 
uh, managed to wrap a 206, Peugeot 206 around the fence post as a result of one of those rallies. And we've had a few interesting, I think there's a, another example of a, um, actually another Peugeot 206 going upside down over a, over a stone brick wall at one of the events, which is, um, it, yeah, very surprising for, again, on public roads. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's this wonderful sort of motorsport. And I did that alongside um, a bit of uh, endurance running and, and stage running too, which I sort of progressed to. And it was all great fun. Um, the and I think by the end of it, I, I wouldn't say it was fantastic, but I, I had sort of a few stage outright wins. They progressed from a Peugeot 205 um, to eventually an MGZR rally car that we we sort of prepped. And from from then, I, I think that that was sort of while I started university. So I went on to university, did a mechanical engineering degree, um, which at Bath, um, which which led to McMurtry in the end, which I can talk about in a moment. Um, and uh, there was this, this wonderful opportunity at Bath um, to do former student, which is, um, yeah, it's, so, so that was quite, quite a long time ago as well, but it's sort of in the early years while well, former student was setting up, but it was this wonderful situation where you effectively build a race, a race team with a bunch of mates, um, build a race car and go racing. And so we, we raced in California, we raced in Germany and uh, Silverstone um, with this phenomenal um, Aprilia engined, uh, uh, race single seater race car that we that we built from scratch, um, and yeah, so that was wonderful in terms of the experience of building a whole car and meeting lots of really talented people and getting super excited about going fast. Um, and in, so, in the meantime, I was um, starting to do some go kart racing with the university, which is great. Actually, starting to get better at circuit racing myself. Um, even did the odd jet ski race, which was ridiculous because wow. I was sort of like a twenty year old stand up. Yamaha Superjet, and um, uh, but, but it's super cool. So just really enjoying all aspects of motorsport. Um, um, and then while I was um, while I was at university, I got some interesting. I just, I just got a few lucky breaks. Really, I, I went off and worked for what's effectively a vehicle and engine test company. Uh, so uh, people that would sort of install dynos, uh, engine uh, developers. And, mm. and one of the jobs that they had on um, was installing a combustion air handling unit for Mercedes Formula One team. Um, and I got, I got wind of this and I, I sort of absolutely put my story out that I had to go and help with the installation of this device. <laughs> and, and sort of begrudgingly, they let me do this. And um, so I, I sort of I, I went to um, Mercedes at Bricksworth um, and that, this is back in 2007. Um, and I... Uh, uh, alongside installing this unit, I just put about six CVs on the on the uh, <laughs> basically handed them into reception, knowing the, the sort of key engineering heads, and and lo and behold, it works. So, I, in in the meantime, I spent a bit of time in uh, while in my sort of university uh, break at Shoreham, working for Ricardo down near Brighton, working on engines, which was great. But then subsequently, finally got the call back from Mercedes and. So spent spent some time working at um, Mercedes Formula One while I was still at uni, and that nice. It, it, it just oh, it was just so cool. I mean, I, I was so lucky because I got to I, I got to go to the company while we were still working on V8s. They had these absolutely screaming V8 um, Formula One mm. engines on the dyno, and and you're just sat there basically like knowing that if you type the wrong thing, you can completely screw it. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's, it, it was a phenomenally exciting time, and I. And I got a whiff, I, I'm in, even though I was just there on a few placements to start with, um, 
I, I got, I managed, I was lucky in that I managed to get a part that I, I was working on onto, onto Lewis's engine in 2008. And I got a whiff of um, this potential performance improvement. It, and it, I, it probably was nothing, but at the time I had a, a very simple test that I ran it without and I ran it with. And it, and it made something like half a horsepower. And, yeah. and this was just like the most amazing thing in the world to me that, that um, here, here was a Formula One engine in Lewis's car that I'd managed to just, just gain this tiny little bit of performance, but it yeah. just felt fantastic. And I, That's I worth it. like 500 grand or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that probably. performance game. I, and you know, it was probably just like the error in the test. It probably wasn't even a real game. But I remember, <laughs> I remember just driving home and, and just calling my best mate at the time being like, this is the coolest day ever. I, um, and uh, yeah, so, so, so that was, that was a fun time. I went through university, did the, did the uh, former student, which was just amazing and um, competing out in, in, in different countries. Um, and then left university and I got a real um, uh, keenness to spend a little bit of time in Germany. I, um, I studied um, German language for, uh, at school and, and at university. And I just thought, crikey, it'd be really lovely to use this. So I managed to, I managed to, um, Get an opportunity to work for Mercedes AMG road cars over in Falterbach in yeah. um, in Stuttgart, um, and it was yeah, it, it was such an awesome culture. And suddenly, it, it, it's this lovely sound whenever you get in in the morning. You hear all the AMGs arriving, and they're just like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like all the employees in their AMGs, and you just think like this this is just nice. absolute heaven. Um, so that was a that was. A, Quite a short-lived but really wonderful time. Um, and the car I actually ended up working on predominantly was the um, the, a, the really hot A45 A class, which was which was a four-cylinder. The but first like, generation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and what yes. were you doing? What sort of um, thing you know when you were working on it? What like what did that look like? So for me, that that particular placement was um, was was all about project management and trying to help the engineers make sure that they were delivering what they needed to deliver to get the project done. So it was, um, even though I'd sort of got a technical background as a, as a UK person with Pigeon German, I think they probably did the right thing to stick me in, um, uh, in a sort of a project management type role to start with. And it, it worked really well. Um, and, and it gave me the opportunity to really improve the language, which was, which was fantastic. And then, um, sorry, stop me if I, I borrow you, but the, um, no, no, no. Sort of a, a, about half a year after going to Germany, I got I got a phone call um, from Mercedes HPP in Rixworth again, which was a bit out of the blue, but was like it's always nice to have a phone call from them. Um, and and they basically said we'd love you to come back, please. Um, and that was that. Uh, so yeah, that that was the end of my enjoyable time in Germany. Um, but I, so I rejoined Mercedes Formula One Engines. Um, I did this really hard project for a couple of years that was. It was really focused on business change, um, and yeah, it was, it was phenomenally challenging, but but pretty rewarding in the end. And and I feel like I sort of I worked phenomenally on this hard on this project, and I met all the right people. And then and then this opportunity came up to be back in the seat that I got this glimmer of enjoyment from when I was on placement. So an opportunity in what they call the performance development team. And right. and and then I so I, I had I, I managed to get sort of um, eighteen months working. And, and I think arguably it's probably one of the coolest jobs in Formula One full stop where your, your entire remit is make this engine more powerful. And, nice. and it's, it's just, it's just amazing. The, the kind of hardware you get to work, to work with is just, it's, it's outstanding. So I, I got to run some wonderful tests. I remember 
one of my sort of most um, memorable situations was sitting there at the beginning of the 2014 testing when we just moved over to hybrid and just none of us had any idea where Ferrari were and where Renault were and yeah. we, we were all just sat there glued to the screens and, and you suddenly get this eureka moment where, where you realise that all the Mercedes cars are absolutely flying <laughs> and that everyone else is struggling um, so yeah and, and, and I got this wonderful opportunity to work on all sorts of crazy out there um, solutions to try and just generate more power in, 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 in the engines and in the, um, the hybrid systems too. Um, and then almost, almost as though it was karma, really, um, I, I, I had then a, a discussion with the, with the managing director, Andy Cowell, at the time, and, and he, he wanted me to move from that team and then run the durability team. Um, and, and so it was, almost, it was almost like all of this Not quite so interesting. Uh, amazing... <laughs> Yeah, well, all of I was like, it's not quite so. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's really it's really fulfilling, but it's basically like you've made this. You've worked really hard to make this engine more powerful, and now it's less reliable. And now now you need yeah. to work for the team that deals with the fact that it's less reliable. It was grueling but amazing. I mean, it, it, it was twenty four hour twenty four hours a day with a team running engines till they basically exploded, and, and yeah. looking at the reasons why they exploded. And, um, and, and trying to understand whether we had a power unit that would survive all the Grand Prix that it needed to do, um, and and we had some really successful times. It was I was lucky in that the the sort of the period that we were running what these they, they call long runs, which is sort of a full um, engine life uh, on the dyno, so replicating every um, everything that they could to mm. of, of the race environment. So the engines would be there just blatting through laps, um, and uh, yeah, we got through that time, and luckily we managed to get through all the all, all the engines in advance of the season that started. So it was it was phenomenal. But um, then, sort of out of the blue, completely out of the blue, came a, a, a phone call from Sir David McMurtry, um, who had um, I, who I didn't know an awful lot about at that point. Who, who'd been in touch with Bath University, spoke to a chap called Geraint Owen, who's who's a phenomenal lecturer at Bath University, and said, "I would like." a new car company, can you point me towards a sensible person? And <laughs> out, out of the blue came a phone call. Um, yeah, and uh, and then a few weeks later, you find yourself sitting sitting in an office with a phenomenally successful um, engineering entrepreneur um, talking about setting up a car company. And uh, I'd gladly tell you a lot more about Sir David as well if you're, if, if you're interested. But. Yeah, but okay, I want to wind back a little bit. Just, sure. just absolutely, we'll get to this in in like one second. But I, I want to know that that bit, right? Where you're, you, you've got a whole bunch of new regs or whatever. You're building an engine, and you then you know you've got whatever the first test where you're going to see what what everyone else is doing. Does anyone have any idea roughly like where everyone should be? Because you're all starting from like a point, I guess, and you're like we're just iterating and trying to make this as powerful as reliable presuming there's a nice you know we see some cars blowing up this year um but like you're pushing that as much as much and much but like do you have any idea where anyone else is i I have to say at that point um with with the rule change that was as significant as that the the change from the v8 to the v6 certainly anyone that i had access to at that company was clueless we Mm. we were all just crossing our fingers because it's such a radical change and i suspect it was really similar for the for the most recent changes uh, this year, that there's such a significant change, you've got no real 
previous data to, to that, that will give you an indication. I mean, clearly you know that the top teams are going to be pumping the most resources at it, and therefore yeah. in, in probability should do really well. But um, they, there were such different uh, design philosophies as well because um, I don't know if if you recall, but back then the, the massive talking point about Mercedes was the was the uh, the, the turbocharger that effectively had the, the compressor at one end of the engine and the, the turbine at the other end of the engine and this really long shaft that spanned really quickly. Mm. Um, and, and that was a complete nightmare uh, to develop. It so nearly um, just completely derailed the, um, the, the development of that, that engine. There were times when that was the, the single most difficult part of the development process. Um, but then obviously we arrived in 2014 and um, certainly Renault had a completely different concept where, where you've got a, a, a compressor and a turbocharger at one end of the engine, which gave them a much more difficult package. Um, and, and things like that, you have, you have, you do, when you get a lot of cross poaching of people, I think it becomes, mm-hmm. um, you, you get rumors and you get a bit of an idea, but, but certainly in that situation, in, in that year, we, we were all completely clueless and wonderfully, sort of surprised and impressed at how well the cars were performing and like that that initial stage presumably of like coming up with a basic design that you're then gonna work and work and work as you say like each each company or group does it slightly differently and comes up with a slightly different solution and then how, how on earth do you know or have an idea of like presuming you come up with a few do you come up with like a few options iterate like work on them a bit and see which is progressing the fastest or you just go nah this one simulates the best um i think you do you do have multiple options certainly the conceptual stage i mean if you if you look way back when to uh, when they first introduced curves so um that's 2009 mm. um uh, where jensen won with braun wasn't it was the first sort of proper introduction of curves and and I remember back then there, there were on the table, there were mechanical solutions to doing sort of flywheel um, energy storage versus um, electrical solutions that used a battery and electric motor. Um, yeah. And uh, initially, um, lots of teams, I think, were trying to develop both options and, and, and trying to um, really progress both options as far as they could to see which was best. But it um, eventually you, you absolutely have to pick one and back your horse and, and just go for it uh, because you, you pay a huge penalty by splitting your team and, and by trying to, to cover too much, I think. So the sooner you can decide, um, the better. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, so it's, it, it, that, that is like test day one, the most tense. Obviously, it's different, but like part of the whole development progress where you're like, Okay, now I know where we are. Or no. uh, yes, I think I think that absolutely is true because very very quickly after the first test, you get to see what everyone has produced. Um, uh, and and to be honest, it's in similar at McMurtry as well. The first day that we tested um, our, our new spearling, like sort of three days before Goodwood um, last year, uh, was was one of it was terrifying to be honest. Um, and actually, <laughs> what's, what's even funnier is, is that it was actually me in the driving seat as soon as we turned the power up. So it was, I, yeah. I, I didn't just have the, 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 the fear of, is, is this car going to work and do everything we, we want? But even more so, it was the concern of, 
is my driving talent up to the job to not <laughs> let down our entire team. Um, so, yeah, the, the the first test is is by far the most scary, I think. Yeah. Okay. So then, so you you get to this point where you meet Sir David McMurtry comes out of the woodwork. Correct. I mean, he's been around for a while. Um, and like, talk me through that first bit and like, you know, I want to start a company. Where are we going to go with this? Yeah. So, I mean, so, so David is, uh, he's just an astounding character. Um, he, he's an inventor through and through and, and, and just a phenomenal genius. And, he, and it's easy to say that, but having worked with him for sort of five and a half years now, he's a hundred percent the truth. Um, he, so he, his background was um, working on aero engines. So he's, he's one of the chief engineers on the Olympus Concorde engine. Um, so, and, and this was back in the days when they were, were drawing things on drawing boards and, and manufacturing something that could fly at Mac. I don't know what, um, but, but, but still they were hand drawing the drawings. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then he progressed seeing one of the key engineering challenges um, with, with um, the, the jet engines was, was actually being able to measure what they produced, the, the turbine blades needed to be manufactured to such a fine uh, tolerance to, to get the highest efficiency and the, and the best reliability. Um, so he came up with this idea of a touch-trigger probe, which is effectively a little device with a ball on the end um, that, that allows you to touch things and, and, and measure exactly what you've manufactured. Okay, um, yeah. And that that then grew into this whole um, Renishaw um, empire, I guess. It's, it's this phenomenal um, company. And, and it's worth saying that through his invention there, he has most likely positively influenced all of our sort of... Uh, experiences of, um, of of mechanical things that we that we buy and use everything from planes to cars to all the sort of domestic products that we have if you think think about um, uh, if one, one of the sort of key challenges with with really um, classic cars is the the um, manufacturing tolerance of things like cylinder bores pistons and and so forth which which could lead to relatively large inconsistencies in in sort of performance and the reliability of the mm. engines that you get. And the, the whole concept of this touch trigger probe is that it tells you exactly what you've made. So you could, if, if you've achieved a certain cylinder bore, you can manufacture exactly the right piston to fit in that cylinder bore and, and deliver exactly what you want from an engine. And that's just one example, but it sort of applies to everything from yeah. turbine blades to dampers, etc. Um, so he, he then sort of went into um, 3D printing and, and all sorts of other clever. He's been at it for a very, very long time. He's a phenomenal inventor. And then he, he came to, to me, um, and and he is a – basically his intention was to really – he spent all of these years looking at automotive, seeing how sort of conservative the approaches are within automotive, the, the limited innovation that we that we see at a top level. And, and he got some key ideas – Fundamentally, one of the things that we really shared as a um, as a concept is that cars have just got too big. Um, mm. and, and me, as a lover of small things with engines, that's the first thing that got me excited. Um, uh, so, the, the the original sort of the first concept that we really tried to work on is is how do we deliver? Um, what are the important things for a road car? And we we strongly believe that. The two most important attributes of a, road, a good road car, regardless of whether it's got an engine or an electric powertrain, is that it should be compact so that you really get to enjoy the road. You really get to uh, maximize your opportunities to apex and yeah. to um, 
not worry about the not worry about curves, etc. But also, it needs to be really, really lightweight. Um, weight is just the most important factor when in, in terms of um, enjoyment of a car, in my opinion, and and, and shared by Sir David. Um, so we we sort of conceived this idea um, of of delivering this amazing um, amazing small electric car, um, and and at, at, it was at that point that. Um, I guess we we had this opportunity to to effectively create the dream team. All of those all of those wonderful people that you have great experiences with in life. Um, that um, is, is sort of the opportunity to try and to bring them all in to create this amazing new product. Um, and and Ke- Kevin Yukoko Rajene, who um, who's our chief engineer, I have to I really have to say he was he was sort of the key uh, driving force that gave me the confidence to just to just say okay. This cool thing that I'm doing at Mercedes, I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave that because this is this is gonna be amazing. We, let's let's go on, get on and do this McMurtry. Um, uh, and I don't think necessarily without him I would have the, the confidence to do that. Um, mm. But then, so we with Kevin and and we, we were able to sort of form this 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 group. So September 2016, we're sitting on the concrete floor in a in a building that Sir David's provided um, with with a small group of us and. Um, yeah, and, and we got started. Um, worked really hard on delivering a, a, a first-generation car, um, and, and that taught us a huge amount about um, the the intricacies and the, the challenges associated with good, delivering a good battery electric car. Um, it, it, it was always going to be electric from our perspective. But it's just the the, the right choice. Um, and then and then we sort of progressed after a couple of years onto the second-generation car, and we had this opportunity to have a real rethink about. How can we make this thing great? How can we apply even greater levels of innovation and, and really start to try and reinvent things? So we came up with this concept of something that's uh, uh, clearly it's small. It's of it's historic proportion. So it's the, the, the McMurtry Spearling is actually a, a very similar size to uh, the Lotus 18 1960s Formula One car that Sterling Moss oh, okay. won at Monaco in. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a classic racing car size. It hasn't sort of, it's probably half the footprint of a modern F1. Um, yeah. we, we looked at the, the band 1970s technologies so um, fan systems which which in principle was a really interesting technology but realistically politics got in the way of um, mm. when you look at the, the reasons why it got banned back in the 70s it, a lot of it was political more so than actually technical um, so we, we looked at bringing in these, these sort of historic technologies that, that, had to, that got ignored in the past um, like, uh, like fan power downforce and active suspension and we applied those to the vehicle, and then um, and then brought in what we'd learned from first generation car, fully electric powertrain. How do we get the absolute most out of an electric tra- powertrain and make this car relevant for the future too? Um, and and therein the sort of the McMurtry feeling was born. Um, and it it was this we had to be phenomenally brave to and and absolute hats off to Sir David McMurtry for backing us to do this, but to d- design a complete car around the concept of pulling. A vacuum that you manage a sealed vacuum. Effectively, build build yourself a two hundred mile an hour vacuum cleaner, um, and design a, a, a complete car at, at the cost, at the expense, and and the effort um, around this concept. That we at that point, the the, the closest we got to proving it was uh, we built a uh, we, we we put a vacuum system into an old ambulance, and the reason being because if you Vans are fantastic because you've got loads of room in the back to like build development parts on. Yeah. Um, and the fastest van that you can buy is an ambulance. 
Um, and so we effectively rebuilt an ambulance with a vacuum system in it, and we were lapping Thruxton with it. And 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 the Thruxton, <laughs> the Thruxton guys thought we were, were were developing a new sort of jet engine because that was a lovely byproduct of the whole thing as well. Is that you've got yeah. this wonderful noise from the system; it's really loud, um, but but a sort of a high frequency noise. So we never we never set up any of the noise alarms. It's just when you get close to it, it's really sort of really loud. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we designed after. Uh, doing multiple laps of Thruxton in an ambulance that had a vacuum system on it, we said, right, that's it. We're now developing a 200 mile an hour, more than 200 mile an hour electric car around this concept. Let's go for it. Um, and that, that was a few years ago. And it's actually only more recently, it's only in the last few months where we finally got to the point where we've gone, my goodness, this really, really works. And this is just so fantastic. Um, and it, it's it's been phenomenal the sort of progress that we've we've made. We we were ultra lucky to tie up with um so so I went I went to the King School of Worcester um up in West Midlands and, and Derek Bell uh, quite a few years before me also went to the King School of Worcester and, mm. and he went to do a presentation to young people to inspire them about the sort of having this wonderful career in racing and motorsport and, and that was great. And I, I, I found out about this through a friend and went, oh, my God, we went to the same school. So contacted them through the Old Boys Network, and, and they put me in touch with Derek. And, and he sort of said, well, if it's not, if it's not got a V8 or a V12, I'm not sure I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then it, sort of as the story goes, and um, 12 months later, he was, he was driving our car up Goodwood and had, having a really uh, good time with it. Um, uh, and that, yeah, and so it was wonderful to tie up with him. And then through the event that we've done at Goodwood, we managed to tie up with Max Chilton too. And, and now Max, um, who's just a phenomenal driver. And there's, I think, seeing Max in our car, and we're, we're mainly made up of a team of people that like to drive. And so mm. a large proportion of us have had a go in our car. But then you suddenly see what it is for us to have a go versus watching the onboard footage of, of Max Chilton driving. And yeah. you just you realise how incompetent and inadequate you are, <laughs> um, which which is. Is, is, is wonderful to see um, we've obviously we in the last few months we've had Max um, running in the car we've had the vacuum system working fantastically well and it's been really great to get this feedback of really interesting things that we've never thought about before for example um, with, with, with the vacuum system downforce aside from inherently being a very very efficient way of delivering downforce um, could save loads of fuel in Formula 1 if they wanted to as an example um, uh, you, you get this perfectly flat um, sort of downforce level. Um, and and for Max, that was really interesting because the feedback from him was straight away, I don't have to bleed off the brake pedal. This is amazing because in all the sort of single pieces that he's driven, obviously the, as, as you slow down, the aero load comes off and then you need to be out yeah. of the brake pedal or you lock up. But we've just got this flat pan uh, downforce that we've now proven up to. Um, we've done 190 miles an hour around Silverstone and looked at the trace and it's just perfect and it's just made, wow. made us made us very very happy because to be honest, it was stressful and <laughs> we were a bit worried that it wasn't going to work. But um, that yeah. that must be, I can't I can't remotely imagine what that's like because yeah I've only driven something with conventional decent amount but you know conventional downforce and then okay so do, does it have like a I know previously cars used to have like a kind of like a skirt that yeah. goes down to the ground. Does it have a skirt? Correct. Yeah. So that's, that's the really, that is the, that's the key to it all working really well because 
So if you, if, if you think about a, an aerodynamic wing, um, effectively the drag and the downforce that you, you get um, go up with the square of speed. So at the point that you're doing sort of 200 yeah. miles an hour plus, you're actually using a huge amount of power just dragging this wing through the, through the air. And mm. it's giving you loads and loads of downforce to the point that your tires are getting really squished and overheating. And, and actually, often that's down the straight when you don't need the downforce at all anyway. Yeah. Um, it, with a vacuum system, if you've got it really well sealed, um, so the, the power that you need to run the fans is, is directly proportional to the flow rate um, uh, of air effectively being drawn, that's leaking mm. through the seals and the pressure at which you're, you're pulling it. So if you do a really good job of sealing um, your, your skirts effectively, the power that you need to run to this, the, the system tends towards zero. So the better you get it, you, the better you get at it, the the less power you actually need to deliver exactly the same downforce. And for an electric car, where energy consumption is absolutely critical to um, to everything because it just means battery weight, it's a system we've been developing for three years now, um, probably three and a half, in fact. And where we sort of picked up was about what we could learn about it from the 1970s. And we've had to push yeah. sort of completely through. There's all there's quite a lot of different features on the system that we, we haven't really described. One of them is, is well inspired by Sir David McMurtry. So it's, it's at this present point, it's a dual, dual redundant system. So you've just like an aircraft, you've got twin fan system. If you ever had one that failed or um, went wrong yeah. for some reason, you, the other fan is, is enough to give you the majority of the downforce still. Um, yes, that was going to be one of my questions yeah. because if it's one fan and it fails, you are you're in a big big problem. Yes, <laughs> if the downforce just goes to zero, you're going off. Yes, and it it, is, it also but it, it gives you some really interesting. Um, it, I, I just I I get so excited about the concept of, of doing <laughs> of doing this on a race car because because the other thing that you that everyone's always complaining about in formula 1 is people overusing curbs it's track limits yeah. it's the fact that there's tarmac now on on the far side of every curb so they don't really get penalized yeah. with this kind of system um, so the the whole concept is obviously it seals against the ground um, I, I mean initially we were sort of worried is this going to is it going to damage the tarmac is this is going to yeah. be a problem and and Wonderfully, through an awful lot of hard graph and development, it's not it's not an issue at all. We've, we've got a system that's working really, really well, and and and, and, and no issues whatsoever on that side. But um, the, one of the things is as you as you get over a, a curb, obviously mm. a sawtooth curb has got these massive sort of cavities in it, um, which which suddenly allow flow to come through. So yeah. you get you get this really cool situation where if a driver with a system like this was to was to properly go over track limits, they get neg- they get negatively penalised because they've got no they've got nothing like as much downforce as they would do normally. So it's um, I, I think that the potential for for keeping people within track limits is is much much greater, and you get this sort of exciting yeah. Um, difference. Yeah, presumably that's the same if you went over grass or you know a different surface or something that's probably not a bit of runoff, not a problem. Yeah. But yeah, like a curb or something like that. Or obviously, gravel's going to slow everyone down. But yeah, that's quite yeah. interesting. Does it drop off? Like if you go over a curb, does it suddenly drop by quite a lot? Or just like, how does it, does it like bleed off? Or how does that, does it suddenly just go it's, ping? It's a, bit of, it's a bit of a bleed. And actually, one of the things that we've realized as a result of now actually having built a car and being lapping Silverstone um, is that uh, they 
the best the best implementation of this kind of system is in a little bit of combination with traditional aerodynamics. So okay. um, you, you've got your trust you've got your trusty old wings that as long as they don't fall off, they'll give you um, a reasonable bit of downforce for too much drag. But but if you if you don't try and do massive sort of numbers, you you can get a, a low level of downforce from an aero package, mm. and then combine that with a an underfloor downforce system like we've produced, and then. Effectively, that gives you a base level of downforce that regardless of what you're getting from your underfloor makes the car stable, it's inherently safe. Um, but then you get, you, yeah, the, the real performance then comes from, um, from the, the vacuum system under the car. One of the things that's really interesting is the ability to deliver lap time around slow corners. So obviously all conventional cars currently, as, if you go into a really tight corner, you, you, um, you get this compound effect. You, you've inherently got a tight corner which requires you to go slowly, but as you're as you're slowing down, all the aero uh, loadings come off, so you, you end up going around really slowly. Um, yeah. Whereas with this kind of concept, you've got full downforce regardless of the speed. Um, so, but but things, but they, uh, not not that we've really tried to get involved in it, but they, uh, in the sort of in the road car industry, there's this sort of zero to sixty battle that's going on um, where yeah. everyone seems to plateau around sort of one point eight seconds. And all the cars are effectively, that is effectively the traction limit for the best, probably yeah. the best Pirellis or Michelins that you can put on it. That's about where you can get to. Presum- Presumably you can monster kind this. Of, absolutely. You can have, you basically, you name your number and you just add, you just <laughs> add the torque, here's the downforce. So, yeah, it's, and I mean, that's one of the reasons we get a lot of questions with the car as to why is it just rear wheel drive? All these EVs are now four wheel drive. And when you've got limitless downforce, um, it's, you, the, the, the compromises are just different. Um, so we, we can still do a tremendous amount of re- regenerative braking um, on, on the rear axle uh, mm. more than really more than we need to to, to sort of fully um, push the battery to its limits. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a different set of compromises. When 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 you're trying to go as fast as we are with this electric car at the moment, the uh, the the, the, the I, I think. The, the sort of power numbers that we're measuring from the brakes are sort of measured in megawatts now, which means that you sort of you, you just can't get that back into a battery. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Wow. That that this opens up so many options for a car a driving experience that's just so different to something else. Like that is. And can you with your with the fan running? Do you run it at like max? Not not necessarily max, but like you know, you, you're picking 500 kilos of downforce, or whatever. Do you run it at 500 kilos of downforce all the time, or presumably, if you wanted to, can you like turn? Is that the most it can get, or if you run it harder, use more power, can you get 600? So I, I guess the, the first thing to say is that when when we announced those 500 kilo numbers, that was Goodwood last year. And we, we didn't have the system working that well. And, and mm. I felt it was important to write some really conservative numbers down. So yeah. the, the actual numbers are a huge amount more than 500 kilos. Um, okay. which, uh, but but the, the, there's also, you, you can effectively do whatever you want with the downforce profile. So you could match the downforce of the normal aero car just by ramping okay. up fan speed with car speed if, if you wanted that sort of experience. Um, we, we, we're sort of working on a DRS function at the moment. So... You inherently get this this big benefit of um, the the better job you can do of sealing the system, the more the power that you use to deliver the downforce tends towards zero. But mm. but also you've got this opportunity to um, uh, very easily control your entire downforce just by the speed of a fan. So you can have a DRS paddle in the same way 
as you would on a in, in an F1 car. Um, yeah. But you can bring the whole downforce package down to a lower level of power consumption rather than just a rear wing, or yeah. you effectively have control of the whole thing. Um, and and, and the, the other thing, I, I guess, that people maybe don't realize yet, but the actual the seal system is really small. So, so the footprint of, of, our, um, of, of, of the downforce generating element of our car is actually really small. Um, it's, not, it's not like a chaparral where you've got these great big skirts down the side of the car and yeah. they're trying to um, pull vacuum across the whole thing. Um, it's, it's a really compact system, which, which helps keep the whole car light and... And do you have, is there any element of, I guess, like a bit like a ramjet, but not quite like a ramjet, where if, if you go faster, do you use any external air to spin the fan? You, so one, one effect that you do get is that you get a low pressure region. So the, the fan exits are at the back of the car. Um, and, yeah. and as a result of driving fast, you get a low pressure region behind those fan exits. So you do benefit the fans, but you're effectively, you're not spinning the fan so much as you're, you're generating a, a beneficial pressure ratio that the fans are working to so they, yeah. the, the air that they're trying to push against is less than atmosphere which is which is helpful so yeah you do so you, less you, power, you get a bit of a run air hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Interesting. And then, okay, so... This scenario where you're running like all of the downforce around a hairpin, like what sort of speed differentials have you seen versus like other, not, I'm not going to say road cars, but like a race car on slicks or even you running without and then on around, yeah, a hairpin. So the the only, the, the best comparison that we've been able to make so far are, um, are the slow corners around Silverstone? Um, yeah. We've actually we've got we we kind of got given some onboard footage from a, a top spec Huracan GT3. Um, oh yeah, I've seen this. Uh, <laughs> uh, trying to trying to follow us um, through the low speed corners, and and it actually the, the speed delta is so large that it caused the driver of the Huracan to to completely miss their braking point, and and then <laughs> um, and and then almost sort of lose it because it, it, it's just. Like some someone came to us after the event and said your car just looks like a video game. And <laughs> I still didn't know what to say to that, but I, I completely understand what he, he meant. It, it 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 looks completely surreal through this this uh, slow speed corner. So um, I guess the only way to really quantify it is, um, I, I mean, we're not we're not yet quoting exactly the G we're pulling because we we're continually improving the system and we're making yeah. the car lighter every week. The car's getting faster, but. But we're in. We we definitely in. We've got a car now that's pulling multiple G, um, and 
and it does that in low speed hairpins and it does that in high speed corners in, so above, in the same way. Above two at naught miles an hour. Or one mile. <laughs> yeah, above two, no, obviously it can't be like that so yeah. but yeah. But yeah, yeah. Above two round any Everywhere. any hair <laughs> high speed, low speed corners is absolutely doable. Wow. It's cool. That that is actually really cool. Like, irrespective of whether you want like an electric powertrain or not, I've driven. I have I have a radical SR three, and so going around sections of Silverstone like Max Beckett's and stuff like that, it's like two and a half G, something like that, which feels pretty awesome. But you wait then pretty much for like not quite, but you know a lot of the lap to get back to some of those sections where you're pulling the G force, and I actually. The idea of pulling that much G around a slow speed corner sounds just that blows my mind because you're in the corner like you're going keep going round and round and round and you just keep yeah. going. Well, what, what, one of the things that we, I mean, the thing that's on test today over at the airfield uh, that Max is testing as we speak is we, we've had to implement power steering because you, yeah. you, there's. Um, You've got to be it's the low speed corners. You've got to be able to move the steering wheel so quickly to be able to do the car's potential. But actually, Matt, we we we're sort of of the opinion now that we think Max is relatively superhuman because we've seen him. <laughs> like we've got a tiny steering wheel like this, and we've seen him on the day to do sixty newton meters, which is just the, these That's F1 drivers are blooming strong. Um, <laughs> um, but, but even so, he he he's given us the feedback that he just can't. He he it's the the, the weight of the steering that's holding him back rather than um, yeah. Uh, rather than the car's potential, so yeah, the key thing that we're pushing on at the moment is getting a really good power steering unit uh, working, just so that we can really get the most out of these low-speed corners. Because yeah, it, I mean, the, I, I really like the idea of I, the, the fun thought is what would it really be like to go around the head in a Monaco? Because it would be so yeah. much faster than a Formula One car. I, yeah, I mean, the whole so track much faster. Monaco is <laughs> It's a cool concept, and we, we we work really really hard to deliver it. It's 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 not been easy at all, and that's why actually when we went up Goodwood uh, last year, we didn't have anything like the figures we were hoping for. But as I say, in these last few months, we've had a breakthrough, and I sort of don't really mind sharing that we Silverstone now we've got to the point that we're sort of comparable to about an LMP2 car in terms of outright pace. Um, that's pretty quick. Yes, it's it, we, for a car that's. As small as ours, um, we're really, really pleased. And there's a lot more to go yet. That, that's that's running things like um, fans at 75% and and not giving it all the power. And Matt's not having had power steering before. And there's so yeah. much that we're that we're working on and building on. That the car is going to be brutally fast. Um, and yeah, and then the I guess the exciting thing is one of the things I'm most excited about now is when we start trying to stick number plates on it. <laughs> so, okay so talk to me about about this well well actually there's i've got a couple of uh, more bits and then well yeah we can cover it as and when or whatever but uh battery packs and stuff like that um what's the size of battery pack in it and where did that come from so the the battery pack in the car that uh the, the one prototype that we're running at the moment is 60 kilowatt hours um so mm. it's uh about if, if it was a tesla model 3 equivalent it's about the middle of middle of the range yeah. above the bottom and below the top um it's completely uh designed and delivered by us um we're virtually automotive as a company we the the um the battery pack itself is is a wraparound u-shape so it's 
is formed around the driver. It's, it's sort of either side and then under the driver's legs. And it's not something you can just go and buy. And, um, and the, the powers that we're trying to pull with, yeah. uh, with the traction system and with the, with the fan system on top of that as well are, are absolutely astronomical. So it's all done by us. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know if it, it I don't know for a fact, but it is, it's, I think it would be relatively e- easy to argue that it's one of the most power-dense battery packs in existence. Um, and we've just been forced to push the absolute nth degree to get that within a tiny car that weighs uh, south of a ton to, to deliver a 60 kilowatt hour battery pack and all this horsepower and a fan system and everything else. It's, it's, um, it's some really difficult work, but it's, we've, we've done it. And then what, like, I was just looking at the your sort of specs on the website. And um, it says charge rate up to 600 kilowatts peak. Um, that sounds like a shit ton of power. Yeah, so it's worth saying with that, um, this whole sort of, there's, there's some really interesting routes with this car. If, um, if and when we start doing some racing with it, um, this, the concept of a pit stop charge is, is something that's um, quite an interesting prospect. And so for a short, sharp burst, that's the sort of power that you can pump in, but you're right that that is a very large number, um, and you would expect a significant amount of battery heating to achieve that. But for a short sharp, I'm in a pit, I'm in a pit stop. I'm going to give it a, a, a few seconds of a, as much as I could possibly pump in. Hmm. That's the sort of thing you can do. And is that the sort of is that the sort of amount of time? Like, okay, you've got a 60 kilowatt hour battery charging yeah. at you know okay so peaks it's going to sort of go up and down depending on how full it is and whatnot but 600 kilowatts how like how fast would that fill it we, so you it, could, let's say like you, I don't saying, know. you can't you can't you you can do a section of the battery at that yeah, pace the middle but, I mean, if you yeah. if you want to do if you want to do a complete fill let, let's say you're you for the sake of argument you're doing a test day or a track day or, or something yeah. of that order and you, you've used the whole pack and you've come down um it's it's at the moment it's of the order of about thirteen to fifteen minutes. Okay, and the if you just did the the sort of middle juicy bit, the fast bit, I don't know what what's that bottom from. Bit, the juiciest bit. Oh, so it's naught it's to eighty percent or something is the fastest. You, effectively, as you the the lower the the lower the state of charge of the pack, the faster you can charge it. So if oh, okay. you look at so the charge rate, it sort of comes down like this as the as the um, as the state of charge goes up. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to do that really fast charge, you'd be right at the bottom of the pack, and you you, you plug it in for a few seconds, and you, you'd absolutely smash the power in, and then and then you'd be off again. Um, but it's it's not intended to be for um, a complete charge. And then okay, and then so if you did that, what's the like? The, the sort of point of diminishing returns in terms of like would it be 30 seconds and you get 25 percent or you know what what does that look like yeah it's it's of that order it's um it i i guess it's, it's something that we looked at specifically because um if if you look at uh, Formula E, for example, the racing that they're doing, they, there's, there's there's this concept now of trying to do really fast, short and sharp um, uh, pit stop mm. charging, just to enable a little bit more racing. And so, yeah, it's 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 like a thirty second recharge to give you ten percent of the battery, um, okay. meeting the exact mass. To that, but yeah, something that like that. Okay, and then like delivering that sort of power at a circuit. 
I can't remember. I heard someone on a podcast recently talking about installing installing chargers in their commercial building, and they were like, "One fifty kilowatt hour charger is the same as five of my building's usage in terms of like the actual amount running through it." In, presumably, yeah. in this sort of charger, do you just wheel it around in a backpack, or uh, <laughs> how are yeah. you going to have these and uh, tracks and stuff like that? Um. I, I, I don't honestly know if we if we will because it's uh, I think I think that specific use case of the really really high power charging will be will be if there's a motorsport application where and, and there's a d- desire to do a pit stop um, yeah. recharge then you you would do that really really high high power short burst recharge to do that the best the best way to do really high power short burst recharging is with batteries so you would go from a you you it's almost would be as simple as you would have Another spearling battery, a DC DC converter between the two, and that's all you'd need. Oh, okay. And and you you've done you've done ten percent out of one of your batteries straight into the, the yeah. battery that's in the car, and and both both batteries are more than capable of so the, yeah. the, the, the discharge rate of the first battery would easily do that sort of six hundred. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So you don't you don't need masses and masses of equipment. Um, just need what, a battery. What becomes very difficult is at the point that you want to do let's say 600 kilowatt charging and you want to do it for 24 hours um, mm. be- because then you, you've already very much depleted the battery that was in your garage you using to charge 50 battery, battery packs or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, yeah, that, that side of it uh, still needs improvement. But I think the thing that's important to say is you're absolutely right. Grid capacity is, is a tricky topic within electric motorsport and, and no one wants to see a diesel generator charging um, mm. an electric car um, and um, the best way or one of the best ways to try and ease the amount of power that you need through the grid is by having a, a really efficient small um, electric car rather so rather than having something that's that's two tons and is, is chomping through yeah absolute megawatts worth of power every time you hit the throttle um, the smaller you can make it the more efficient you can make it the more more feasible it becomes to just plug into the wall and in in the Silverstone uh, pits and in the uh, in the Donington pits we've seen it too. Um, it's relatively easy to get sort of 40, 50 kilowatts straight out of the wall plug. Um, okay. And that's that's obviously a slower charge. But if you if you're doing a more normal use case where mm. I'm going out, I'm doing a load of laps, and then I'm knackered, I'm having a cup of tea. It, it's it's easy to to recharge the pack just using the wall. Yeah. So yeah, your 50 kilowatt is going to be an hour and a bit yeah hour and a half or something yeah 60 kilowatt hour pack you generally it's slightly windowed so a 50 kilowatt charge you probably just over an hour yeah and then do you guys take two packs or multiple packs when you go when you're testing no no we, we haven't needed to yet okay then you just work it out and how long can you do how long can you do on a charge so yeah, that, that is the the, uh, the question that has no easy answer. It depends how fast you want to go. If you want to go really really fast, the way because of the way that sort of electric vehicles um, uh, are generally to go as fast as you possibly can. You have your powertrains reaching its temperature limit. Your battery is absolutely on its knees of its temperature limit, and you push everything to the nth degree, and you'll get effectively like a, a single qualifying lap. Where mm. if if you're not only getting one lap, then you should be pushing it harder, sort of thing. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, okay. So, um, that that's sort of the the absolute top of performance. And then as you come down, you get hugely more uh, runtime as 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 you start to allow yourself to come back to more normal um, runtimes. So or lap times, sorry. So uh, GT3 pace around Silverstone is about. Uh, 157 to two minutes a lap, something of that order. Yeah. Um, we could do quite a few laps at, at that sort of pace. And even that is sort of um, uh, quite uh, quite fast for quite a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, it's, and presumably it's, it's fast in, like we were saying, it's fast in the weird places. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's fast it's where the other cars are not fast. Yes. Um, and I know, it's, but it, yeah, and it's really efficient in its way of delivering lap, really good lap time because actually it's really energy consuming to do 220 miles an hour down the straight. Um, yeah. If you, can deliver, if you can deliver a load of lap time by going really, really quick through the slow bits of the core of, of, of the lap, then, then that's a very efficient way of delivering a good lap time. And does that also mean lower speed in terms of things like regen? Um, yeah how tricky is it to pull the power back out you know it's not it's never, i know it's not going to be a one-to-one but is, is it easier under how does that work is it like presumably a little bit of braking is easier to pull some regen out of hard braking less so yeah, yeah so the, the proportion of the energy that you can recover um is much greater when you're doing sort of gentle braking um so if you if you consider your normal electric car on the road, you can lift off the throttle and it, it's all regen because it's just um, mm. the brakes aren't even being used. It's just sucking as much as it, back, as it can back out through the motion inverse into the battery. Um, at the point that in, in your normal road car, if you're driving down the motorway and you stamp on the brake, a, a huge proportion of the energy then is just going straight into the brake discs, and that's why they're there because um, because you just can't shove all of that energy back into the the motor inverter and, and usually the actually the, the hardest bit is into the battery um so yeah the faster you go the more difficult it becomes to regen a large proportion of the energy and and sort of as mm. i said a little little while ago you start to get to the point when you're driving really fast that the the power that the brakes are uh delivering to um or rejecting turns into sort of megawatts um Okay. And, and and then that becomes so you, you can you can grab some of that and the slower that you go the more of it you can get and therefore the longer you can go so it's it, it's a virtuous circle but as you start to go slower you can get much much longer run times yeah so the worse the sort of worse the driver you are you get more unless you choose to drive to brake less yeah um, has that has that been a point that you've been sort of developing and seeing change over in the amount you can regen and do you think that will change a lot over time or not or it's just really hard uh so we we're making a really good step in the near future with an our what is effectively our third generation battery and that's got even better um thermal management and that allows us to uh pump a, a, a higher level of power into the the battery under under regen braking so mm. from our side we are seeing it improve um and and it should only get better uh, think what, what's really critical are things like um, your the, the impedance of the cells, so their their willingness to accept current flowing back into 
them, and and that's also really affected by temperature. So if they're really really cold, then then it's very very difficult to pump the power back into them that you would get from wage unbreaking. But if you mm. if you're able to keep them in this nice warm window where they're not too hot and they're not too cold, um, you you they're very they're much more willing to accept loads of power. So okay. a big part of the the interesting engineering challenge is um, keeping the cells at the right temperature. Mm. And what is that operating window of like optimum? So uh, generally speaking, if for for this sort of application, you you, you want to be sort of forty to sixty degrees is a nice is a nice window. Uh, most of the cell manufacturers will, will tell you stay well clear of anything above sort of 70, 75 for fear of um, everything getting way too hot and, and damaging the cell. And if if they're, um, yeah, as you get colder and colder, the, as I say, the, the impedance in, of the cells increases fairly drastically. So um, you then have a lot less freedom to pump power back in. And do you do a like a, a warm up lap, or do you just does it? Have you got heating sort of stuff in the car that it can warm itself up? Um, so at the moment we have a, uh, a pit conditioner that's helping us with with a lot of this. Um, yeah, the, the sort of a concept of a warm up lap is not not really necessary for for the battery as such. But yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. I don't think we're fully decided as to what's the best thing to do in the future. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Well, it sounds like an absolute riot. Um, sounds like possibly, like handling-wise, with that type of downforce and stuff, and it's a pretty small car with a lot of power and rear-wheel drive. Like, yeah. is it quite spiky, or is it so without down, without downforce on? Yes, but the, there's one final thing that's really interesting about having vacuum downforce is that it's independent of your. So you can be going at full sideways and you've still got all the downforce, unlike a wing. Um, right, yes. So actually, so it's much more recoverable um, than, obviously, if you've got massive wings on and then you get into a big slide, you've lost all yeah. the downforce and you're back towards the wall. Whereas yeah. with this, you've still got a chance because you've still got all the downforce. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's inherently, um, it's fun. I mean, that's first and foremost, it's a small car. It's got loads of power. That is just the dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Have you got a, a model for this on like a Seto Corsa or something that you can you can uh, send down the post? Like, uh, um, There's the <laughs> stuff in the pipeline that I can't really talk about at the moment. But, okay. but can, I guess when I was younger, um, the car that we were all getting really excited about was things like the, the, the Red Bull X... X cars, X yes. 2014 in Gran Turismo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, they, and it was this hypothetical car that used fans and everyone would go around and do laps of the Nürburgring in like, what, probably three or four minutes or something utterly yeah. ridiculous. Um, and and obviously what we've created is very much of a similar philosophy. It's a car that truly sort of reinvents what what's possible um, and, and has started from a proper clean sheet. Um, but it's a real car and, and we're going to make them. And, and yeah. so... So, as you might expect, there's been there have been phone calls made to us uh, from people that want to see it in games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So, okay. So you you've got the this car as it is at the moment. Track weapon. Yep. You would uh, you'd like to do some racing at some point. Would that be a 
a one make series or would you, will you try and sort of fit it into a GT or something? Obviously, it can be a bit, a lot faster, but yeah, maybe so for it, the running it times. It doesn't naturally fit anything that exists at the moment and, mm. and you sort of wouldn't expect it to because it's, uh, it's never going to have the range of a combustion car, but it's got a lot more yeah. performance than most combustion cars. Um, so it, it is, it is a bit different. It, in the long term, I'd love to see something that's not just a single make series that that is other manufacturers taking forward this this technology uh, mm. using electric cars because that's that's what everyone wants to develop at the moment. Um, using uh, fan based downforce to actually deliver downforce very efficiently and with these wonderfully different sort of attributes. We we haven't even talked about following, by the way. The, this whole concept oh, of yeah. worrying about aero wake just is completely gone at the point that you've got a vacuum downforce system. Um, so yeah, another cool attribute. Um, and, and the noise when when you apply it to an electric car, although if it was a really loud combustion car, you might say, well, it's not that important. But for an electric car, the the thing you hear first from our car by by a mile is the the, the fan screaming as it's sort of echoing up in the grandstands, and it's it's, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, so sing, single make series would be great. The, the, the sort of the general trajectory that we're heading for at the moment is what uh, is really looking now. We, we've got what's really difficult to achieve with electric cars is an electric road car that is also track capable. If you look at the mm. majority of performance electric cars that are coming out, um, most of them are the rest part of two tons. And, yeah. and that's, that's, in my mind, is almost, it's just a complete no-go for track. You, it's kind of pointless. It's so heavy that you, there's, I, I feel, rightly or wrongly, that there's a need to have a car in the future that is compatible with, um, with, with future urban requirements. You can drive into the centre of a city, you, you can still enjoy it in the normal way that you enjoy a car, but you can still take it to the track and enjoy it too. Um, and actually, this concept of when you get rid of all the redundant space, you get rid of all these extra seats that you're carrying around you've really got this opportunity to make a properly compact properly enjoyable electric car that's great fun on the road because it's it's compact and it's light and it's absolutely ballistic on the track for those few times that you want to take your brains out and just mm. go mad um and and so that that yeah that that's where this is really interesting i think is is looking at the future of this car in road legal form barely yeah. road legal but enough enough to drive through the center of london and also set a lap record around any track of your choosing yeah that would be quite cool to be able to you know drive congestion charge free into london charge up maybe at your place for a couple of hours have some lunch would they so there are plans for a road car version-esque at some point um will it maintain most of the characteristics of the track car so would you and would you aim for a vacuum downforce system on a road car. Does that work? Is, is that allowed? I, uh, I don't know why it wouldn't be allowed, but... So they, there's, there's some interesting points of discussion there, I think, and I, I can't say that we've got all the answers yet, and so I'd, I'd be wrong mm. to, to try and blurt out um, what we think at this point. But, but I guess the, in its simplest form... Um, a fan system is phenomenal on the track, and and most tracks, most uh, sort of track day cars have track modes and they have road modes, and and mm. so there's there's most probably there's an opportunity for something that meets 
uh, both the criteria of being amazing on the track and being really cool on the road. And maybe it would still make loads of noise on the road with the fan system, but that's probably just showing off. But then why do people buy Akrapovic, yeah. Exhaust, or whatever they are? Yeah. Well, yeah, and you've got the GMA T50 that yeah. has a, a fan system. Uh, yes not the same level of downforce but you know it has a fan system yeah and, it, and it's worth because that's really interesting because obviously gordon murray we have so much respect for gordon I, he's made such amazing cars I, you, and really if, if you look at um uh, things like the, the rocket that he made uh many years ago really fast mm. ultra lightweight road car and, and obviously being responsible for for the brabham formula one car that had a fan on it in the first place um but interestingly the the system that they ran on the Formula One car was closer to a sort of sealed system, more close to what we've delivered than, than his current T50, which is which is not a sort of sealed car. It's a it's a yeah. like a fan assist boundary layer improver. Okay, and then with your and and then the skirts, presumably those wear away, they degrade in somewhat level over time, depending on the surface you're on and et cetera, et cetera. So how has that been? It's something we're learning about at the moment still, but actually with the right materials and the, the, the right um, people working on it, you can deliver something that really doesn't wear at any significant rate. Um, there are some really amazing materials that exist now that probably didn't exist when they tried to do it in the 70s. Um, uh, so yeah, I, um, will, will you deliver ever deliver a car that where the skirt, the skirt lives for the lifetime of the car? I think... Probably that would be a very brave thing to say, but but I they equally they um, yeah it's not it's not like they sort of instantly um, disappear. So yeah, we, we're working on it. Interesting. And then um, let's say you've got a road car that has this insane track capability. One of the issues that you get conventionally with a high downforce is you generally have to run stiffer springs or a stiffer suspension setup which does not work on the road and then also ride height but actually you yeah, yeah how does that how does that all fit in especially with the skirts and stuff does your car actually run a bit higher than normal so that that's where I, I mean we use fully active suspension uh and and that is the best answer to it um yeah, so yeah yeah i think that's a relatively simple answer it's difficult to do but it's um it gives you freedom to um have a car that adjusts its ride height and its um, uh, its stiffness to the the level of downforce that you're running at. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, track mode, lowered, stiffer. Yep. Turn the fan on, off you go. Did, with the fan running, uh, sort of full chat or whatever it is, uh, consistently. Presumably, that means you actually have like quite a consistent fan noise. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, you're you're right, and it, it's on, on a circuit you get the Doppler effect, so you always get this, this sort of now as, as it goes past. Um, uh, if you're sat in a traffic jam and you ran a constant sense, uh, fan speed, then then yeah, it would just sound like a, a constant high pitched jet noise. Um, but when you're driving, presumably it does. It does at the moment, yeah, yeah, and and that's again that's something where uh, there's some interesting opportunities for us to develop. Um, yeah, you're right. It's uh, there. I think I think probably the answer to that will be having some degree of varying um, fan speed with with car speed. But we we haven't decided quite yeah. what the right solution is yet. From a from a lap yeah, time yeah. perspective, you just want 
all of the downforce all of the time. Um, which, yeah, so from a driver's perspective, you've, you've got you've got a hum uh, that's, that's, that's... But the, because one of the things that's interesting about doing a carbon monocoque single-seater with electric powertrain is the electric powertrain is right behind you and the, and the monocoque itself acts a bit like a drum. So a lot of what you're hearing is this sort of um, electric <laughs> motor noise. And it's actually, uh, from a driver's perspective, electric cars when done properly, sound fantastic. I think it's just that the noise doesn't carry in, so it's diff- more yeah. difficult for a spectator. Yeah, you've got all the crazy motor noises. Yeah. And then with the with that consistent downforce, and I know it doesn't have any necessarily any more drag, but presumably there is some sort of additional slowing the more downforce you run, or is that not, doesn't really come into it? So, so like um, on a straight? So, yeah, and this, this is the thing that sort of is an added... The benefit of the system a little bit um so with with tires you get rolling resistance the more load you put on the tire yeah. the more rolling resistance you get so if you add to the downforce the car wants to slow itself down because of the tire drag um having a drs system that, that lifts off some of the downforce at the point that you don't need it helps with that but you you're absolutely right um if you add downforce the, the car does get slowed by tire drag there's a little bit of um skirt drag but it's, it's not that significant in the scheme of things um the, uh, the one of the things when you compare that to an aerodynamic a conventionally aerodynamic car obviously because the wing load um, the, the wing downforce goes up with the square of speed at the point you're doing 200 220 whatever it is the the load down on the tires is absolutely massive so the, the rolling resistance mm. that you get at those really high speeds is way more than you'd actually want um, but yeah get, having the freedom to do this flat line downforce gives you um the opportunity to tune how much rolling resistance you're dealing with at any one point. And you can run a bit less stiffness because you haven't got these crazy, crazy yeah. high loads at the end of the straights. Exactly right. Yeah, you can design a car around this particular set point. That's quite interesting. And then, okay, so at, presumably, and you know, like, I haven't quite worked out whether you do it yet, whether you, if you, in the optimum situation, you might ramp down the fans on the straight so and then ramp them up as you're about to go into a corner you could do so yeah. you could have this really really weird situation where you're driving and as you put your foot down the fans are doing the opposite of what a combustion engine would do in terms of they're like they're revving down as you're going faster yeah. and then just as you're slowing down yeah. they'll rev up yeah, yeah, yeah. which must be super trippy like yeah. so weird yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. That could easily be the situation. And, and wouldn't it be cool to be sort of dealing with something so different in a, in a race, race environment? It's so different to anything else in that sense. Um, I, that thing, of because if you, I mean, you could have this stuff all controllable by your hands or what's set up or GPS yeah. or whatever. And you're like, I'm about to go into a, a bit where I need all of the downforce. And you're like, whoop. Yeah. Yeah, off you go, we, and then we, we we had this we had this cool situation with Max the other day at Silverstone where um, a, 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 I think he was on an uh, on an outlap and a, and a sort of a GT3 car came herring up behind him and he was sort of still um, warming warming the car up and and doing um, a, a little bit of brake warming I think and 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 the car comes around the outside and he just goes switch turn the downforce on and you get exactly that noise he just goes and and then he yeah. he basically just disappears um, and it's <laughs> 
yeah, it's it's really cool in that sense. Loads of loads of interesting opportunities to do different stuff. Um, the the actual driving experience with a with an electric car is really cool as well. It's sort of it's very very cool. I I I am a lover of manual gearboxes, heel and toe. I think that's a really interesting and, and engaging experience. Um, with an electric car, you don't get that at all. You've just got throttle, brake, and steering wheel. But there is there is quite a lot to be said for if and if you're not um, you, you there's a lot less to deal with, and so you, you can really perfect mm. that. I, I want to get exactly to that apex. I want to hit the breaking point at exactly that point. Um, I you, there's an opportunity to be a greater perfectionist because you're doing fewer things. I think in the, in yeah. the circuit environment, that's really, really cool. I've totally found that. Like With my Radical, uh, I used to have an SR1, which is like the baby one, and that at the time, you could have the sequential shift shifter. Um, and But it, it also introduced paddles. And I was like, well, to be honest, I've, I love driving manual cars on the road, but the more I drive them on track, I'm like, hmm okay, other than for the actual experience of driving that particular car on a track, like, give me paddles all day long because I just want to focus on going fast and gear changes can be a pain in the butt sometimes. Yes, there is a skill element, etc. But yeah. if you just want to go faster and faster and faster and faster, right foot, left foot, paddles, done. And yeah. this in this element, right foot, left foot, done. Yeah. Do you get, um, with the... Because you don't have gears, judging speed into corners and stuff must be much harder. I, th- I think because um, because the motor noise is so obvious in the cockpit, it's, oh, it's, okay. it's not that it, it is like having one really long gear, but you do mm. you do get accustomed to the sort of the respective frequencies for the different corners. Um, so you, you're not, it's not like you're sort of living in silence and, and you've sort of kind of guessed, got to guess completely from, from sight alone. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I, I, no, one, okay. I think one of the things you that. get with combustion engines is you, you go, well, this is a third gear corner. I know it's a third gear corner, mm. so I get into third and you don't have that. Yeah. But then there is an element of you can learn the, the sort of RPMs. You go, this is a high pitch, this is a lower, etc. Um, Okay, 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 I get it. That sounds... And then some of the other... So with road cars, production and legalities and things like that, presumably you wouldn't look at making that many of these. Um, no, indeed. And therefore you get to dodge a lot of... I mean, I don't, I don't know how you're allowed to make a Caterham. So presumably you fall, fall under the same sort of category. Yeah, I, I think um, we, we haven't fully concluded that, that side of things, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if we were to try and do full global homologation with this kind of car, I think a lot of what makes it interesting and different would end up being difficult to get through. Uh, mm. Things like, I, I don't think our fins are particularly um, uh, sort of pedestrian-minded uh, um, on, on the yeah. back of the cockpit, um, and, and other things would be the same. So. Yeah, I, and as much as I'd love to think that um, uh, there'd be a huge market for ridiculous single-seater electric track cars, I, I think it would be better to, to have the opportunity to make them really, really amazing and deliver them in, in, in uh, more modest quantities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So if I came to you now and I wanted to buy the track, one of the track cars, yeah. are you making, if you start, when, when do you think you'll start making or have you already started making finished production customer level cars? Um, I'm going to have to say we'll, we'll be announcing stuff um, in the not too distant future. I, I think okay. we're on a voyage of discovery and learning amazing things about these crazy technologies at the moment. Um, and a lot of what we produce is now getting to the point where it looks really, really good. Uh, mm. But equally, there's a big difference between making a car and making uh, a batch of cars that you're happy um, will be yeah. um, really reliable and, and will make make customers smile every single time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely on a roadmap. But I'm, I'm not going to give you a fixed time scale at this point, but hopefully we'll, we'll be in a position where we'll be, be able to announce sort of what we're going to be up to. The not too mm. And what 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 price bracket where 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 are we looking at? Um, it'll be it'll be really good value, I hope, compared to all of these <laughs> many multi multi million pound uh, electric and combustion hypercars that are coming out. But it's still gonna at the end of the day, it's still um, it's a hell of a lot of car, and and deliberately so. So it, yeah. Uh, I've avoided the question. What's, but, the, what's, um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the number? Vaguely. I'm not even Between sorry. 500 and 1.5? Maybe? Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, oh, you I, don't know. I, you haven't really the, north, the north end of that probably um, would, be, would be fantastic. But the reality is that we're still... Uh, the, the, the bill of materials for this car is, is evolving continuously as we develop it. So it's, yeah. it's difficult to give you a real, real number at this point. So, so it's it's in the sort of electric hypercar ish, vaguely territory ish. I, I hope it will. I hope it will represent. It will look like a, a phenomenally good value um, proposition in comparison to um, a lot of the the new ultra yeah. performance electric hypercars that are coming out. Sure, and and I think. It's you know it, it's a, it's a tool for a different purpose than all the cars that are out there at the moment. Like this is a you know absolute track weapon in the proper sense of it. Not even like pretty much every track special that comes out from a manufacturer at the moment. I'm like yeah, but it's it's really heavy and it's really slow in comparison to an actual race car. Um, yeah. Whereas this sounds like one, the tech is just so different that the experience will be so different from anything you can buy. There's nothing that's going to deliver that, this experience. Might be quicker, slower, sound different, yeah. whatever, but this is literally like, it's just going to be completely different. You won't be able to get this experience in something else, which is, yeah. I think that's quite cool. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's certainly our intention. And I, I'm hoping pitching at some point, maybe, possibly, have a little go. But I've, I've <laughs> like that may not be possible. At, at the point that Max starts to say it's easy to drive, then we'll, we'll start <laughs> we'll start taking on. Start considering that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can imagine at the moment it's not. <laughs> I, I think at, I think at the moment the most of the things that he says to us when he gets out is it's so fast, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is great. I mean, it's what you want to hear, right? It's just jumped out of India, yeah. so. Um, yeah, it's funny. I I I I haven't seen the cornering shot, but I did see the the video clip of um, 
of the GT3 car behind him and then him just like putting his foot down and it's just, it's yeah. just seriously gone. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it, there's so much potential and, and you, you've got to play to the strengths of electrification. I think um, if it, it's never going to win an endurance race, but you, but to produce a combustion car that could deliver that sort of horsepower in this sort of size package would be almost impossible. So um, it's, it's exactly as you've just said, it's going to deliver a really unique experience. Um, and for the right people, there, there is a tick box maybe that they didn't have before, but hopefully they will have after listening to this podcast, which is I want to drive a fan car like Nicky Lauda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and, and this car will deliver that and it will deliver it with phenomenal instant torque, huge power in a tiny package um, at a... Uh, an acceptable race car weight that we're continually striving to improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds pretty cool. I normally wrap these up with five questions. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Yeah, so I went back in the rallying days when I was doing endurance rallying with uh, uh, with our chief engineer, uh, Kevin Yukoko-Rangeni. We did the Exmoor Endurance Rally in a Peugeot 205 and it was really, I mean, going back to the whole thing about having to convince your mates to get in a car with you and not throw up in the passenger seat. So, so, so Kevin was kind enough to do this thing. It's absolutely grueling. It's a full weekend of basically trying to read gobbledygook instructions that partially on the road, <laughs> partially on rally stages, and, and trying not to throw up at the same time. Um, but Kevin was kind enough to do, uh, do this with me. And I... I don't think I ever succeeded in getting a co-driver to do more than one with me. So it was always, it was always <laughs> but, but Kevin did this one and we had, we did pretty well to start with. And then we came across a back marker and I made a bullish move. overtook him off the road and we crashed into a tree stump and completely bent <laughs> the tie rods. Um, and, and we spent the rest of this rally still trying to drive flat out. It had, it, it bent in such a way that, it was sort of rotate and it would change the tracking on the car. So you'd be driving along oh, and suddenly nice. you need to do that because, and, <laughs> and it was so sketchy and, and, and pretty terrifying. But I just remember getting to the end of the rally um, exhausted and then us both just sleeping in the back of, in the back of his car. Um, just, yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a, it was a UK based Exmoor rally and it was absolutely mad. I don't, unfortunately I think it, endurance rallying doesn't really exist anymore. I don't think they quite got the numbers, but, but yeah, what, what a thing. Yeah, it's good fun. That sounds pretty, 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 pretty sketchy. <laughs> um, if you could only drive one car for the rest of your life and you have a very cheap £500 vehicle on the side so that this basically this vehicle can be a sports car if you want and you can have something cheap to do, family duties or whatever, if, if that's your thing. Yeah. What would you go for? So, so the obvious answer is to say the car that we haven't yet released, which would be the McMurtry Sterling road car. But I suspect that's not a particularly interesting answer. But I do think that would be just an amazing everyday, just ludicrous car. But given that if it's got to be a car that exists at the moment, I would actually choose, I think, a mono. I think I'd have a BAC mono. Ooh. And I would have, um, yeah, I'd have some sort of estate um or either in state or like a, I don't know what you get for the money. That's the problem. If it's 500 quid, it needs to be electric. I'm, I'm, I'm done with filling up my car at petrol stations now. That's I'm so over. <laughs> I don't, I don't think you can get an electric. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, well, you might be able to a very, very, very old 
Zoe or something, but I suspect possibly not. Yeah. But yeah, so you're, you're done with filling up. I I feel that. I have an electric car as my sort of town run around short journeys. And whenever I get in one of the combustion cars and it, I'm like, oh, I've got to go fill it up. Yeah. It's, That's rubbish. So <laughs> I, I, my, my cars at the moment are, they're not the most exciting, but I've, I've got a Model 3, I've got an uh, electric Volkswagen, so the two electric cars which we use all the time. And then okay, yeah. uh, just a few months ago, I got my absolute dream. It took me three years to find this. I've got completely mint, really low mileage Peugeot 106 Rally. Um, which, oh. which is which was the dream car when I was younger, but just couldn't afford and couldn't get insured on. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've, I've got one of those, so I do still I still do still use petrol for for that, but it's it's a weekend motor with. A, nice, yeah. nice. There was a photographer, I think he was based in Belgium, that had a 106 rally, and he always used to turn up to stuff, and I always thought it was cool. Um, yeah, okay, interesting. How's your um, experience of? owning a few electric cars day-to-day one tesla one not been yeah mega i mean you, you just it becomes very clear i think when you make the switch that uh it, it's just the right solution um you, you there's you occasionally you do get the whole range anxiety thing and that's sort of that that's fine because in my mind it gets cancelled out by having a full um a fully charged car every morning sat there on the driveway um so i I sort of um yeah i love the convenience i'm so used to instant talk um and and so sort of happy with the i I commute quite a lot of miles every day and i just doesn't feel right to be just hoofing a Mm. load of um, co2 in the atmosphere for the sake of trawling up and down a motorway um so yeah it's, it's just the right solution for me yeah 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 I, I was very pleasantly surprised by having a small electric car. Um, I'm, I'm really, I really want, we keep seeing pretty much the opposite of what I want in electric cars coming out. And I think it's probably part of the process, but I want like, let's say like your car, but in a more fa- practical kind of family type situation of, I want them to, the drive to be efficiency and a s- sort of needs to be small and efficient and we keep seeing massive like at the moment what have we got like that that the hummer that came out in the states and they've sold fifty thousand of them and it's like five tons or something like that yeah. you know that to me is the absolute opposite of the way this should be going yeah and um, i completely agree and i think it's it's really tricky because obviously the market is the market seems to be demanding a huge amount of suvs at the moment and so mm. Uh, the, the natural thing for manufacturers has been to produce an electric variant of an SUV, but but naturally electric and SUV don't really go that well together because you end up with just this mammoth machine that, that isn't really that environmentally friendly because it's got a massive battery and it's not that efficient. Um, but where, where electrification just makes so much sense is as you start to downsize and you can get this virtuous circle of... Um, you make you make the car small, so it's got low drag. So you can deal. You can have a small battery. You still get mega range, and the brakes are smaller, and the tires are smaller, and everything's just better. And charge it quickly, yeah, etc., exactly. etc. Et exactly. Yeah, your home your home charger will still charge it in a few hours, or whatever it, whatever it is. Whereas previously, in in the SUV generation in combustion times, you just had like an extra ten liters in your fuel tank, and no one really noticed. 
Um, yeah. When when uh, that equates to needing a six, seven hundred, eight hundred kilo battery instead, I think it all starts to go really wrong. Yeah, and then you're yeah ch- charging because I've noticed. So my car has a forty six kilowatt uh, battery, something like that, and I can charge it overnight at home uh, just on a three pin or in six hours or something on a in a on the wall thing and that just works and yeah i would like a car with a bit more range i can do i think like 160 miles of motorway something like that if i could do 250 that would cover like all of my journeys pretty much and then a long one you'd charge it a bit but if you can just make the car more efficient i know that's an easy thing to say but they make it more efficient make the systems more efficient if you could start to get you know i think i i don't know what i get i probably get four i think 3.8 what is it miles per kilowatt hour on a motorway something like that um and there was that mercedes that came out recent recently the the concept that was doing about eight um i think that's gone to an extreme level you're probably not gonna see that translate into a road car that soon because it's i think it was really lightweight and super slippery and not necessarily crazy practical but if we can get to those numbers or even close to that like double where we're at now everyone if you get double the range you're like oh i've got i've got so much give me a smaller battery back yes yeah that the mercedes was done by a few friends of mine um and it's yeah that that was that was magic to see that it's really nice to see a, a big manufacturer doing what is i would argue a relatively brave thing which is to make a car that isn't just the same it's not the same suv format it's not necessarily the prettiest thing ever because mm. it's really swooping rather than being sort of hunkered down and aggressive as people sort of become accustomed to but it's yeah phenomenal in terms of its um efficiency yeah really really exciting car that um yeah right what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment what i should be worth think more? Have, being a being an EV driver now, I think anything with a manual gearbox, petrol, and a relatively small engine in the future is going to be amazing because petrol is going to get super super expensive as it already is. Um, so, I mean, to be honest, anything with a manual and a petrol, um, I think, will be amazing because just the transition from getting out of a out of a Tesla or Volkswagen yeah. into a Peugeot 106 with a manual box, it is it's become completely night and day. It's it's an experience that sort of um, I, I absolutely love, and uh, and I sort of didn't really expect to want a combustion car, but I, I, I absolutely love this one. Um, uh, so I think anything that gives you that sort of pure experience, ideally one that is pre all the safety aids where they did traction control and auto braking yeah. and all all that other stuff that makes the experience less pure. So basically anything that's old and petrol, and probably V8, V10, V12 would be phenomenal, but whether we'll be able to afford the fuel sensibly in the future, I don't know. Yeah, and then also, I, well, I think we'll be able to get fuel for a long time, but at some at some point in time, it's going to get really expensive, and you'll probably order it in barrels yeah. and and do like a round trip from home or something. Yeah. But yeah, your your point about going from an EV to um, a combustion car is really interesting. I think it's it's very similar to I always used to have. So I have some pretty fast cars at home, and used to driving nice stuff around. But I'd go on holiday, and obviously, what you do when you go on holiday is you rent the cheapest thing you can. Um, and it's normally got a one liter in it and it's pretty slow and a bit ratty sometimes but then i come back home and i had a massive reset and rediscover how great or you know the experience of driving these faster stuff 
Yeah. And the Eevee one is a sort of similar. It's not quite the same because they are they're quite talky. But yeah, that dead silence experience, whatever, and then you get in something with engine, and you're like, ooh. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, this is and, interesting. And again. suddenly your driving gets really bad again, which is <laughs> EVs are very soothing and they sort of they make you drive like a sensitive human yeah. being and um, as soon as you've got something that's sort of screaming at six, seven thousand RPM, you just you want to be there all the time, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Most interesting car to you at the moment. Googling. What are you looking at? Uh, so obviously that Mercedes you mentioned is, is really interesting, but I would probably go with, I really want this to succeed. It's been taking ages, but the car that's quite inspirational and cool is the Valkyrie. I think that's, mm. that's really nice. It's a proper shrink fit. Like it's got, it, it's got an amazing engine. It's a lovely, it, it's going to seem wonderful in the future. I, I, I think, um, and I think it's a really challenging project. It clearly is because it's years late now, but, but I just yeah. want to see that one come through. It's what, what, a, what an awesome concept. It, that, it, it's, sort of the, it's a similar essence to what we're trying to achieve, but in, in petrol form, um, we, we're trying to achieve something that's similarly radical, really shrunk fit, absolutely minimalist, as light as it possibly can be, real focus on aerodynamics. Um, and we sort of delivered that in, in electric form and, and the Valkyrie is a, arguably one of the best examples of that in combustion form i think that's coming up yeah i heard it at goodwood last year i know it didn't run too well or that often but when it was running wow (laughs) and and just a a thing to look at and appreciate like this is as a road car and i presume on track actually is probably where it will really come into its own um the track car version but like you know this is just mad this is cool yeah but will it be too much for the road yes and no absolutely will be i mean almost anything can be too much for the roads with the right driver can't it but um yeah which which sort of pushes you in the direction of well should you just should you be looking to get the pro version the sort of the track only one but i think Mm. yeah realistically you want the road legal one won't you or, or you know, you're in that category where you're like, oh, both. Along with my lineup of crazy track Formula One cars and whatever, I'll have a bit of each. Why not? And then I'll take this to the pub every now and then. And yeah, that's, just that's, that's enjoy the craziness. Shopping, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't take a passenger. <laughs> Got one shopping bag sorted. Yeah. Final question. Five car garage, unlimited value. Yeah. So... I'm actually, the, the five-car car, five garage is going to include the 106 Rally that I'm really pleased to actually have. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I've got to have a, an electric um, road car, and I would currently choose if I could. I, I'm a big fan of estates um, rather than SUVs, mm-hmm. so I would go for the Taycan uh, Sport Turismo. I think they do that yeah. GTS one that looks great in, in the yeah. Um I would have, so I'm a massive uh, rallying fan and as, um, I, as a result of Goodwood last year I finally got to spend some, a bit of quality time with Sebastian Loeb because um, he, oh, cool. he he strolled over to the Spearling and just went like oh my god what is that <laughs> which, which is phenomenal so I sort of he, he was always my idol when I was younger and I'd sort of be the guy that was like looking over the top of the crowd to try and catch a glimpse of him and, yeah. then, and then finally got some meeting properly last year so cool. I would have his 2008 uh, Citroen C4 uh, WRC car, and I would definitely compete in that. I would enjoy that a lot. Nice. Um, I would have 
I think I would probably have the 2016 Mercedes Formula One um, mm-hmm. because I've worked so hard on it. Um, and obviously won championships, which is great. But I wouldn't, knowing how hard it is to run them and how how insane they are as cars and how much could potentially go wrong with it, I would I would probably buy it and keep it. And then I would have a Mercury Spearling for actually going really fast on the track and enjoying <laughs> Um uh, so, yeah, I think that's where I would be. Did you have any toes dipped in the AMG1 project at all? It, it was happening. I, I was reasonably aware of it because it was happening while I was there, but I, I didn't contribute to it. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's another one that you're like, where is it? <laughs> it's, 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 it's difficult, it though, isn't it? It's tough. So, I mean, that's why when you when you said to me, when, when are you going to deliver this car? Because... Um, Arguably, that's another example of where you take something that you start with a track thing and you try and make it a road thing. And, and mm. the, the outcome is often much cooler. I mean, the Project One is is undoubtedly going to be a really cool thing when it finally comes to market, similar to Valkyrie. Um, but, it, but it is tough and it's not to be underestimated how much there is to do to get to that. And we, I mean, we follow the same journey. We've, we've gone, let's make an outrageous, amazing track car and then work out how the heck we get that on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess... You, well, you won't have some of the issues that they have in the sense of it sounds like with both cars the powertrain has been a real real issue getting it to just idle and like bumble around yeah um because funnily enough they're not designed to that whereas an electric motor you just drive it slower yeah indeed yeah the, um i mean in normal uh sort of the normal speed that you would have the engine sat at on the dyno which was sort of a relatively low damage low consumption uh, position was 9,000 RPM. So um, it, would, it, would, it would idle lower than that, but that was the sort of the sweet spot where you, were, you, you had the least resonance in the gear train and, and, and that sort of thing. So, I, yeah, to try and get it to sit at, I think the lowest they ever did was maybe three and a half or four and a half, something like that. So, yeah, there's a, I can imagine that was a, a mammoth task um, in itself. It would, it would, if, if they weren't, if it wasn't the companies making the car that are making the car, they, I'm sure they could have pumped it out like years ago. If let's just say you were a small independent manufacturer based in America or something, and you're like, "We've made the car. There it is. Yeah, doesn't have to pass all these tests, these emissions tests, no, X, Y, Z, endurance testing. This, it's like, it's a track car. There's some plates for the road. Off you go. We'll see you in a about an hour when it broke down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think, yeah, the, the, the beauty of it is hats off to these companies that have done something really brave and tried to produce. It's cool. Like they, they're mega companies. Um, uh, I mean, Daimler, Mercedes is sort of hundreds of thousands of people, isn't it? Um, and, and yet they've, they've, they've done something really brave, tried to produce an, an, a really out there car. And I think I'd love to see more of that. Um, because, yeah, because it's all too easy to produce yet another SUV. And, and that probably brings yeah. in the big money, but but actually, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's and, Mercedes have done that. And yeah, and you see certain brands um, sort of producing new Halo cars that aren't technologically particularly interesting. Um, Ferrari are exceptionally good at making money and selling cars, but they keep bringing. They've brought out a few cars recently for the sort of you know we're going to make three hundred of them and blah blah blah, and it's basically a slightly more complicated rebody of an existing powertrain in a different shape 
and there's nothing like they're not they're not trying to do something completely out there crazy yeah. add another 3000 rpm to the engine or you know some crazy aero or or something so it is i mean there's probably a lesson there for these manufacturers that are trying to do it but i think you you do have to just put your hats off to them like aston martin and go valkyrie project when if it hopefully finishes you'll go yeah but that was that was standout yes absolutely and it will be remembered and i, and I really hope that the same will be felt about what we've done with this car in the future too um although we're a much much smaller outfit um it's it's taken a huge amount of bravery and at a financial and uh, sort of personal cost to deliver a vehicle that is this different mm. to, to everyone else. Um, so I, I really hope that that will be true, that in, in the future people will look back and be like, those guys really went out on a limb to deliver something different and crazy. Yeah, I think that's that's really cool. And I think, yeah, for the, all the team and the backing, like to go for it, I think is is amazing. I love um, another... Uh, who did I, I another guy I interviewed was uh, David Dicker of Road In Cars yeah. and there's some similar similarities in you know a, a massive passion and a, a big business going this but this is what I really want to make let's let's make this and let's make something pretty crazy and a bit mad um, and yeah absolutely hats off and I, I hope well I'll see it some more and I'm looking forward to what's going to come out you, yeah. in the future sweet Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much, Sam. It's uh, yeah, great. Yeah, it Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.